Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of the show. My guests today are the co-chairs of the New York City Council's Progressive Caucus, City Council members Shahana Hanif and Lincoln Ressler. Back on the show, oh, uh, more than a year after they joined me last when they were first uh, selected by their colleagues to be co-chairs of the Council's Progressive Caucus and back here to discuss how things are going for the Progressive Caucus, the city council, the new city budget, and much more. Both council members, Hanif and Ressler, are Brooklyn Democrats in their first terms and on their way to second two-year terms in this post-census, post-redistricting landscape that creates the two two-year terms here before they're eligible to run for another four-year term. Council member Hanif represents District 39 in the city council, which includes parts or all of Cobble Hill, Carroll Gardens, Gowanus, Park Slope, Windsor Terrace, Borough Park, and Kensington. Council member Ressler represents District 33, which includes parts or all of Burham Hill, Brooklyn Heights, Brooklyn Navy Yard, Downtown Brooklyn, Dumbo, Greenpoint, Vinegar Hill, and Williamsburg. We are speaking here in mid-July, uh, we are talking specifically on the evening of Monday, July 17th, 2023, as the dust is maybe somewhat settling after intense negotiations over the new $107 billion New York City budget, which was agreed upon by Mayor Eric Adams and the New York City Council at the very end of June. Though there were 12 votes against that budget in the 51-seat city council, 11 of those nay votes from progressives, including my two guests here today. And maybe the dust hasn't settled that much. We'll see where things stand as we discuss it with them. Not to mention that just last week, the city council overrode the mayor's vetoes of several housing voucher expansion bills with the council's progressive caucus all voting in favor of the overrides. And there's a significant amount of tension now between the council and the mayor over these bills. And the mayor seems to be potentially gearing up for some sort of court action. We'll see what he decides to do as he has opposed these bills that the council has now uh, overridden over his veto. Uh, there are a number of other areas where my guests and other progressive city leaders and other Democrats more generally have been highly critical of the mayor of late, including around management of the city jails, and there's continuing calls for a federal receivership there. Uh, decisions on planned street safety improvements, response to the June air quality emergency, and much more. With major real-life implications for New Yorkers, things between the more moderate Mayor Adams and the city council overall, but especially its progressive wing, have been especially tense with many areas of disagreement that are and aren't being settled around housing, public safety, education, and much more. So we're going to get into that bigger picture and a number of specifics here on the show in this episode. That includes the Progressive Caucus's policy agenda for this term, where at the top of that agenda are bills to ban solitary confinement in city jails and create more housing opportunity for those with past criminal records. And we'll see where those two bills and other items on the caucus's policy agenda sit. Speaking of the ban on solitary confinement, that uh, effort is in part led by public advocate Jamani Williams. He's a recent guest on the show. So find that episode in that discussion. After you listen to this one, public advocate Williams discussing the status of that bill and much, much more about holding the Adams administration accountable 
and a variety of issues, his political uh, recent lessons learned and future plans and a variety of policy issues as well. The Progressive Caucus of the City Council has also seen its own shakeup earlier this year that we'll get into with the co-chairs as a little more than a dozen members left the caucus over disagreements about its stance seeking to reduce funding for the NYPD and Department of Correction and invest those funds into more social services, community investments, and so on. So more on that soon, too. And just before I bring on council members Hanif and Ressler, if you missed any recent episodes of the show, find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts, uh, along with public advocate Jamani Williams, the most recent guest before this episode. I've also had some great conversations with guests, including Westchester County Executive George Latimer, really interesting conversation there about the suburbs and the city and the relationship between Westchester and the five boroughs and the differences between some political trends in Westchester versus the counties on Long Island and much more. Also, uh, state senators from New York City, Julia Salazar and Brian Kavanaugh, discussing housing policy that they're both focused on and what has and hasn't happened at the state level around this pressing issue of housing that, of course, has been so much of the focus of policymakers and the media and others, but seen very limited action. All right. So check any and all of those and others out after, of course, you listen to this one. So City Council members Shahana Hanif and Lincoln Ressler, thanks for coming back. You are the co-chairs of the City Council's Progressive Caucus. Thanks for joining me. Uh, how are you? Thank you so much for having us. It's good to be back on your show. It is great to be back, Ben. Thank you so much. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say how bummed I am about Gotham Gazette and want to thank you and your team for doing just extraordinary work there over the years. Appreciate it. Thank you. And and for listeners who haven't been uh, listening to every episode, I've, I've gone over this uh, in recent weeks uh, in some introductions of the podcast uh, but um, Gotham Gazette uh, is no longer publishing right now, taking a break from publication. Myself and other members of the editorial team moving on. I'm continuing to do the podcast, as you can see and hear, and uh, doing some other things as I figure out my next steps. And uh, some of our other members of our editorial team also figuring out their next steps as well. And we're hopeful that uh, Citizens Union Foundation will relaunch Gotham Gazette in the coming months. Um, so again, thank you both for being here. So, so let's talk about the opposition to this budget deal. Uh, if you can each say a little bit about uh, your biggest reasons for opposing the budget deal, but also maybe something that you're particularly happy with that got in that the Progressive Caucus uh, really helped work on. What's, uh, what's a little bit of the good, bad, and ugly on the city budget deal that was passed at the end of June uh, after an agreement by Mayor Adams and the city council? Uh, Councilmember Hanif, you want to start us off? What, uh what was sort of the core of your opposition to the final package? And uh, is there any uh, one or two things, especially that you uh, are glad were in there? Absolutely. Thank you again. And it's exciting to be on your show as the co-chair of the Progressive Caucus. I want to give a shout out to our vice co-chairs, council members, Jennifer Gutierrez and Carmen De La Rosa, the four of us have been a power team. And as first time council members, it has been a tough year, uh, a year plus, uh, both serving in our districts and as leaders of this caucus. And we embarked on a very, very critically important uh, task to bring cohesion 
to this caucus and outline what it is that distinguishes us uh, from other caucuses and why it's so necessary for us to exist, particularly um, in this political climate. And I also just want to acknowledge for those uh, hearing about the caucus, because we don't make appearances like this uh, frequently. So Ben, you are quite lucky to have our time. <laughs> uh, that the caucus embarked on this journey for uh, ideological cohesion and the 20 members that make up this uh, powerful caucus are all black and brown, except for council member Lincoln Ressler. And I think that needs to be acknowledged as we talk about what austerity means for black and brown communities, working class communities, immigrant undocumented communities, and all of us represent asylum seekers. And so it's critical to just lay out who is in the caucus and what it means um, as New Yorkers talk about progressives, um, that we are uh, a majority of black and brown council members. And so I just wanted to lay that out as we uh, have this uh, conversation uh, today. Um, the caucus put out priorities um, earlier this year and united around um, three planks housing, and that includes expanding right to counsel to ensure that every, every uh, resident at risk of eviction um, has um, a lawyer, and then expanding uh, funding for HPD and NYCHA. Uh, we were demanding $4 billion. Uh, the second plank was for education. We saw massive cuts that were not restor restored um, over the last year. And so that demand was to see no cuts to school budgets and restoration of cuts to 3K. And then the third plank uh, was to expand crisis respite centers, overdose prevention centers, street out, outreach teams, and really center the need for comprehensive mental health services um, for New Yorkers. And then, of course, all of us played a critical role uh, in prioritizing restoring the mayor's cuts to essential services and programs. And so um, we we saw wins. Um, I'm putting wins in sort of air quotes because we didn't fully achieve um, any of those planks in its full, in its whole. Um, but the wins that I'm particularly excited by are the restoration to the cuts that were proposed for libraries. We saw an increase of funding for right to counsel, um, $20 million. Our ask was for 351 million. We saw an almost doubling of prime Promise NYC, which myself and Councilmember Caban, with the support of Comptroller Lander, fought for, um, and then that's uh, child child care for that's for the child care, correct. And we fought really, really hard um, in the wake of seeing deep cuts to child care. And so, uh, those are some of the wins that I've been proud of, and uh, despite voting no, I'm still calling attention to that. This council, together with the other caucuses, with the support of our speaker, fought really hard to restore. But the 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 problem for me still remains that we were we were unable to successfully bring in the deep investments necessary for legal services for asylum seekers. Uh, the ask that was put forward by advocates 
Rockets and myself and Comptroller Lander uh, and the council was $70 million. Um, again, no real commitment to restoring the promise of universal 3K. Um, deep cuts to shelter operations, cuts to reentry programs for New Yorkers incarcerated at Rikers. So that and much more um, is why I voted no. And, you know, the the Department of Education at their executive budget hearing had started off their uh, testimony by sharing that there would be no cuts to schools, that schools would be held harmless. And I've been hearing from countless countless schools in my district, and I know Councilmember Russell shares this too, that there are cuts. I just attended a fundraiser for a school raising money for a music teacher. And then the same for CUNY. I know we had some restoration, but I've been working with the Women's Center at Brooklyn College, where I'm an alum, uh, where they're seeing deep cuts and will basically be unable to run the central programming that is offered to Muslim women students, to gender nonconforming students, and countless others that find that uh, space uh, a sanctuary for them as first-generation students. So those cuts and much more um, could not bring me to a yes vote. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Ressler. My my distinguished co-chair said it all so well, and I, I just have to start by saying what a pleasure and privilege it, it has been to to serve with Shahana and, and Jen Gutierrez and, and Carmen de la Rosa in leadership of the PC and with our 20 awesome members. Uh, it's uh, the fights are, are urgent and important. And and with this group, they're also fun. Uh, I think this budget was a familiar return to the Giuliani Bloomberg era of the budget dance where uh, Mayor Adams imposed or insisted on just disastrous cuts, billions of dollars of disastrous cuts across the board to our housing, our education, our social services. And Speaker Adams and this progressive caucus and the city council as a whole, you know, fought back month after month uh, through the, our six month long budget process to try to plug every hole that we could and restore every cut that we could. And I appreciate the speaker's leadership. She was tough and she fought hard and Chair Brandon fought hard to try to make sure that the worst of the worst cuts to our libraries and our CUNY systems were largely averted. But at the end of the day, for me, there were still, this budget was not good enough. There were still far too many cuts uh, that will hurt our communities. Uh, we lack the strategic investments to help us uh, grow out of uh, the challenges that our city faces. Uh, despite a budget surplus this year, the mayor was able to impose cuts where we could least afford them. You know, and for example, our, our shelter system, you know, Ben, we have the largest homeless census in the history of our city. Over 100,000 people are sleeping in shelters tonight. And what does the mayor do? He cuts funding for shelter operations so that the staff have less resources for services on site to provide to support people in shelter. He cuts funding for the most effective solution to homelessness, which is supportive housing. We uh, so there's cuts in each of the next five years budgets to supportive housing uh, funding. He cuts funding. He 
he fails to make the necessary investments in right to counsel. And while it was a major priority of the Progressive Caucus and we fought hard to see about $20 million of additional funding invested, it's not nearly enough. Uh, the best way to prevent people from entering the shelter system is to ensure that they have a lawyer in housing court. When somebody is when a tenant is represented in housing court, they win their case approximately 90% of the time and stay in their homes. But when they don't have that lawyer in housing court, you can be sure they're ending up in the shelter system. And right now, a minority of tenants who qualify for right to shelter are accessing those attorneys in housing court. And as a result, we are seeing our shelter roles explode. We're and and you know, to me, this is a harmful budget. Uh, this is a budget that uh, that cuts services to the most vulnerable, like people in Rikers Island, um, where we where for no reason uh, the mayor eliminated $17 million in reentry programming because he didn't want more eyes and ears. Uh, in the jail system. This reentry programming is run by distinguished nonprofits like the Fortune Society and the Osborne Association. They've done a great job for decades of supporting people who are incarcerated and helping them begin to plan for reentry. And the mayor so, eliminated this programming for no good reason. So there's going to be pe people, people listening here who um, who understand what you're saying about some of the cuts, of course, that you and the council writ large, I mean, just about all of the council, not just the Progressive Caucus, were focused on restoring and beating back some of the proposed cuts in the mayor's budget plans. Um, as you said, Councilman Ressler, there was something of an apparent budget dance here where the mayor outlined a whole bunch of uh, savings plans and cuts to different things and then basically had the council and advocates and others, you know, the public advocate controller, others spend a lot of time and energy sort of focused on restoring those cuts. And the conversation didn't really move in a significant way, much more towards, oh, what new investments do progressives and other council members and, and others want? And that's a bit that's a bit of a strategy, of course, that a mayor and a budget office can use. At the same time, there's going to be people listening who say, hold on a second. Didn't you say a hundred and seven billion dollar budget? That's you know up twenty billion from just a few years ago. Uh, there's a huge influx of federal COVID aid, obviously that's part of that, but also you know all sorts of increasing tax revenue and and costs and new labor contracts and a lot of different things um, that are involved there. But it's still a one hundred seven billion dollar budget. Most of the proposed cuts and reductions that the mayor uh, put out there were beaten back by the council and, and agreed upon to to not go forward. There were some, uh, you know, relatively smaller ones that you both have outlined, and then you both outlined a few examples of areas where you wanted to see more investment. But this is a, this is still a one hundred seven billion dollars spending plan. There's a there's a lot of city funding being spent on needs that are there on the shelter system. Say a little bit about the sort of discussion around shifting resources, because a lot of this, you know, th there is a bit, there is a bit of a budget surplus, but there's also big out year budget gaps, uh, relatively speaking, fairly large out year budget gaps. So there is some concern about needing to save and put money aside in those out year budget gaps. But a lot of this conversation also still comes back to shifting the funding that is there, right? And and. What kind of shifting of priorities would you have liked to see? Um, I know I said a lot there, jump in on any of it, but especially that that last part, because, you know, it seems to me that with 
a significant amount to spend here. It's not like this is a budget where you needed to to slash spending because there's some emergency or there was a crash in the economy or something. That some of this discussion is still about shifting where the spending is occurring. There's a lot, Ben. I think there's a great deal of validity in what you laid out there, but. I think it's important to just start with some basic facts. One, we had a surplus this year, and yet the mayor insisted on stark cuts across the board. Two, for the last decade, uh, there have been uh, gaps that have been anticipated in out years, and each and every time, revenue has outpaced uh, uh, predictions, and the budget gaps have been solved for. Uh, I appreciate that we've uh, had a lot of federal aid over the last few years, and that is beginning to to decline. And with the Republican House, I don't think it's, uh, despite Hakeem and Chuck being there fighting for us, I think it's going to be a difficult landscape to get resources out of Washington over the next couple of years. So that's a real uh, a challenge for us. But I'm hopeful yet that the economy is moving in the right direction. We see inflation is slowing. We see hiring is picking up in, in places where it's needed. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think that we need to uh, preemptively make harmful, steep cuts where we can least afford them and fail to make the strategic investments that are so clearly necessary to help us grow out of this crisis. Strategic investments like early childhood education. This mayor cut $1 billion in funding for 3K over the next three years. So instead of achieving the promise of universal 3K, as was uh, as the previous mayor made to working families across the city, this mayor, Adams, has obliterated it. Uh, instead of investing in uh, filling every vacant NYCHA unit and vacant supportive housing unit to house homeless families, the mayor is uh, cutting funding where we can least afford it. Uh, there are necessary investments that we should be making in job training for young adults and for others who have struggled during COVID. There's mental health investments that are needed uh, for folks who have struggled during COVID. They are not prioritized in this budget. That is how we get stronger as a city. And uh, this mayor's, I think, rigid ideological commitment to shrinking the size of government is hurting us. As a progressive, um, I believe deeply that government can help us solve problems. And we need to invest in it and resource it. Uh, the mayor is moving us in the opposite direction. The headcount in city government is smaller than it's been in a decade. Uh, at our anti-poverty agency, the Department of Social Services, the mayor has cut over 2,000 jobs in his first two budgets, just eliminated them. We can't provide food stamps in a timely basis. We can't process supportive housing applications in a timely fashion. We can't help the people who depend on us because the mayor keeps cutting and cutting and cutting again. And it's not necessary. And we've got to organize and fight back against it. Council member Hanif, to, to say a little bit uh, or about whatever you want, but, uh, but including in that, perhaps <laughs> um, the idea here about you have let's say there's an agreed upon at some point, you know, $107 billion to spend. And obviously the Progressive yeah. Caucus and maybe other council members might have been advocating to spend a couple billion more based on projections and surpluses and all that. But you come you come there and you have to make choices. Where would you, you know, where would you want it to, ha if, you, if you were designing the budget and the Progressive Caucus is designing the budget, where are you moving more funding away from to invest in some of the other things that you already mentioned or invest more deeply in 3K, uh, right to counsel and other things. Absolutely. So 
first and foremost, what the Progressive Caucus laid out is exactly where our priorities should be as a city for housing, education, mental health services. I find it baffling that we were day after day rallying to restore cuts to libraries. Uh, and these cuts would decimate programming on weekends, evenings, while in the same breath, we were encouraging asylum seekers to utilize libraries uh, to learn English. And then uh, cuts to our schools, again, without having restored the money that uh, was cut in the last several months. I mean, it, what are we what are we saying as a city when on the chopping block are not anything new that was proposed, but existing social safety net infrastructure? City agencies that are supposed to be carrying out the functions of our city's most basic services um, are also cut. And as a council office, we interface with the city agencies on a regular to offer constituent services, not being able to uh, to uh, on, a, on a timely fashion get constituent services done impacts um, our constituents deeply. And so to me, the question um, that I was reflecting on every single day is why? Why are we as a city saying, OK, cuts libraries, cuts mental health services. And, and, it, and I find it most surprising that after the death of Jordan Neely, that the mayor's impetus wasn't to say, we are going to as a city uh, double crisis respite centers. We are going to double overdose prevention centers and have them run uh, 24 seven. Um, but rather what we saw is an expansion in uh, uh, $1.5 billion uh, to the NYPD's budget. Mm. That is where we see the increase. And so we're not seeing uh, an, an expansion in social safety net infrastructure that really say this is a city that is a sanctuary for refugees as we continue to welcome asylum seekers. We deeply need, uh, as this administration has been saying, the support of our state and federal partners. But as a city, if we are continuing to pit asylum seekers against unhoused New Yorkers, working class communities, we are, uh, we are already um, uh, saying that some communities don't belong here. And, and that's deflecting, that's distracting from what as New Yorkers we should be pushing for is services uh, uh, and, uh, and an infrastructure that really keeps our communities whole. We should have working libraries. We should be thinking about expanding libraries. Uh, we should be expanding hospitals and mental health care uh, centers in our communities, in our neighborhoods. They should be in walking distance. Um, there's just so much that we should be getting creative around, and none of that is reflected in this budget. We shouldn't have had to fought so hard to restore cuts to libraries. I just think about that because... Um, it was young people as I went to the graduations at the end of June um, to meeting with young people who are my interns all year round, asking wh why this administration was hell bent on cutting libraries. What 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 is so your what is your people, answer to that? I mean, what 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 what's your answer to that? Is it is it as simple as well? The mayor comes from a more you know moderate to conservative 
viewpoint. And he thinks, you know, we can, uh, you know, he talks a lot about a more efficient and effective government and that we've got plenty of money to spend. We need to run government better. And he, you know, he wants to invest more in policing and that's sort of his, his mindset and his politics. And that's partly what he was elected on. Is that the answer or what, how do you answer that? What is your understanding? That of is certainly, that is certainly a part of the answer, but mm-hmm. I think more broadly, uh, what I like to focus on is that this mayor has a vision rooted in abandonment. If this administration cared, if Adams cared, if Adams believed in dignity and ensuring that our young people, our aging, our older adult community, um, immigrants deserve uh, the very programming um, hubs and spaces within our communities, he would not, he would never put libraries on the chopping block. I, I just find that find that to be the most shocking part of this, that the life that we were rallying for libraries. And I'm so proud of uh, our caucus member, council member Chio Say, who had done such a brilliant job um, as chair of, of cultural affairs um, and libraries um, to unite so many people um, around the restoration. But we, but, well, but think, I'm just, we you know, again, this, remembering. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think we got it this early on and you both have been around, um, <laughs> around the city council well before being elected to it, that, um, you know, this was, seemingly, and I don't know, you know, through reporting that this was a, a set, you know, fact, but seemingly a sense of the budget dance where the mayor is able to suggest some cuts to libraries. Everybody starts to rally around libraries. Who doesn't love libraries, you know, slashing weekend service, these things. And that becomes a huge focus of right. energy and effort. And, and so it doesn't get expended elsewhere. And for a mayor, again, if you want to sort of take his perspective, a mayor who's saying, I can't let the sort of uh, big spending progressives in the city council take control of this budget process. Uh, we got to be careful. We've got out your budget gaps. I want to run a leaner city government. Federal aid is drying up, et cetera. Some of that valid, uh, at least. Um, here's a way to to get everybody's attention on restoring library funding while we then don't have to debate other things. Um, say... Uh, I don't know, Councilmember Ressler, if you wanted to jump in on any of that before I move I, on. I just I think that the it's important to ground ourselves in the data. When we look at the you know the mayor's management report, at the metrics by which this administration measures itself, we see government efficacy moving in the wrong direction across the board. Uh, when Eric Adams came into when Mayor Adams came into office, 96, 97% of New Yorkers who applied for food stamps accessed them within 30 days. Now we're down to 42% of people getting access to the emergency food that they need to eat within a month. Uh, in the previous administration, they were closing on about 25,000 units of affordable housing a year. This year, they closed on 18,000. From bike lane installations and bus lane installations uh, to so many other key areas, we see government failing to deliver for New Yorkers, failing to get stuff done. And if we don't invest in our staff, in our agencies, properly staff them, uh, we will not deliver for the people. And so uh, we've been 
fighting hard against these cuts because they undermine uh, stability in our communities. They harm our communities. Uh, you know, strong schools, great parks uh, are the best contributors, you know, uh, good job training programs are the best contributors to strong, safe and healthy communities. And, and that's what we're fighting for. And I, I can't tell you why the mayor is, is doing what he's doing. What I can glean uh, is that he has a rigid ideological commitment to shrinking the size of government. And, uh, you know, outcomes be damned. Uh, this is a uh, forceful uh, approach that he and his budget office are taking with every agency across the city. And it is having harmful effects. And we're going to have to organize much harder in the months to come in the upcoming budgets to prevent uh, yet worse cuts uh, from taking effect. Councilmember Honey, if you got at this a little bit, let's let's come back to this. Um, I mentioned the, in the opening that the Progressive Caucus that you both lead has had a little bit of its own sort of turnover and and turmoil um, when you when the new class of city council came in in early 2022. There were roughly 35 council members who signed up for the Progressive Caucus. That was basically just you know sort of saying who wants to be who wants to be part of the Progressive Caucus. Um, and then as you all sort of refined your your policy platform and your principles and and all of that, there was some consternation within the caucus, and then it wound up slimming down to the current uh, 20 members, roughly, again, uh, one or two numbers, give or take their uh, council member, Kristen Richardson Jordan, eventually asked to join the, the, the caucus, and, you know, there's some nuance in there, but that's roughly the picture. Yeah. There are about 35 uh, council members out of 51 who signed up for the Progressive Caucus, you refined your principles, your platform, about 15 uh, decided to leave at that point with most of the focus around the uh, the point in your statement of principles related to doing everything, quote, uh, I'll quote from the statement of principles, we will do everything we can to reduce the size and scope of the NYPD and the Department of Correction and prioritize and fund alternative safety infrastructure that truly invests in our communities. Um, Councilmember Haney, if you got at this a little bit in discussing some of the budget choices, so say a little bit about that shift of the caucus and what that has meant um, in terms of focusing the caucus. Twenty members for a caucus is still pretty large out of fifty-one seats, um, sure. and whether whether there was a real focus on that plank of the of the mission statement because there didn't seem to be a very organized effort this budget yet again around something that was a main focus a few years back. And obviously you, neither of you were in the, in the council then, but, um, but say a little bit about the sort of refining of the caucus, that particular plank of the mission statement. And um, that also not particularly being a major focus of advocacy efforts around the budget, unless I'm wrong. Sure, that's a, a big question. <laughs> the and, mic is yours. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's something that I'm profoundly proud of. I respect that we took this, this step in saying, okay, we are operating in a Mayor Adams New York City where we know that 
he will be focused on expanding the police department and uh, will not be delivering the deep investments we need to keep our community safe. And so just that process of uh, landing to a cohesive statement of principles was a, a huge undertaking. And I'm proud of the work that um, our colleagues did in order for us to get there. Councilmember Crystal Hudson, Councilmember Natasha Williams um, were a part of that working group uh, to define what those principles are. And we took a vote and we um, said, those of you who agree, let's do this. And those of you who don't, maybe sometime later you can come back. Um, and, and that allowed Councilmember KRJ to join. And we're still you know, operating in a in a landscape that nobody is banned from the caucus, um, but we are not going to shift wording or wordsmith parts of the statement of principles um, to move away from uh, what New Yorkers need. We need to see the investments across our healthcare system, our mental health services, in our schools to ensure that there are guidance counselors, social workers, and so that's where. Um, uh, in this budget cycle, uh, we focused our priority around in the wraparound mental health services to see the expansion of crisis respite, respite centers and overdose prevention centers and not focus primarily around um, pulling money away in those specific words, but rather saying we need to see investments, reinvestments into these mental health services, particularly in the wake of what we've seen and, and heard across our districts around um, the mental health crises that are, are deeply felt both in our district offices and with the organizations and advocates we work with. Um, and I just want to say, you know, we are in our, for lack of a better word, in our toddler days. I I would say the caucus in this iteration is deeply different from the iterations of when it was founded to um, uh, the functions it was serving during, uh, before uh, this cycle of council members took office. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've, we've really focused on um, creating a camaraderie within the caucus. We want to see our members succeed. Um, we know that it is tough work um, to demand a reduction of um, incarceration and uh, the police department and department of corrections. Um, but we know how across the board, um, we see very visibly the need for mental health crisis interventions and those that are rooted in our communities, those that are language accessible, um, those that are meeting the myriad of needs um, that require long-term and not a revolving door. I mean, one of the first things we did as a as a, a caucus was oppose the ways in which the mayor was conducting sweeps of um, uh, homeless encampments. Um, and so I'm proud of the process we took to build cohesion while acknowledging that we're in the early days of what could be 
the caucus. And so we are treating it with a lot of um, love and uh, finding ways to build uh, with our colleagues in the caucus and while balancing our fight for legislation. And we were proud um, to see the passage of the zero waste package, which is part of um, our 20 legislation agenda that we put forth. Um, and we have uh, gotten um, 17 of the bills heard. So we're also really excited to not just simply focus on a just budget, but also a package of policies that get at um, more transparency within the police department. Um, we want to see the end of solitary confinement. Um, we want to make sure that uh, formerly incarcerated people um, have a, a fair chance for housing. Um, and so there are priorities that speak to um, our legislative goals um, that are super exciting. And, and we, we want to see those uh, get to the finish line. On those two that you just mentioned that were at the top of your policy agenda, the ban on solitary confinement in city jails and the Fair uh, Chance for Housing Act, what's the, is there a forecast on those? Um, you're, you're, we're now obviously in the second half of the second year of this two-year term. Um, there's going to be a slightly different city council uh, next year. We don't exactly know what's going to happen in the general election. There's several seats that will be competitive, um, but most of the council will, will, will likely be back in its current form. Um, but you have these two pieces of legislation. They're both fairly controversial, subject of lots of debate. Um, is there a forecast on those two bills? Well, right now that the budget's over, we're excited to refocus and um, get to a, a a place to be able to use our power to get them to the finish line, but want to pass it to Councilmember Rustler. We're thrilled that Speaker Adams has been outspoken in her support to ban solitary confinement. And I know that public advocate Jamani Williams has been uh, rigorously negotiating the bill with various stakeholders, especially uh, some of the unions that represent uh, healthcare workers in our jails. Uh, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to reach uh, consensus very soon. There is a, a strong majority of council members uh, who are have been and remain committed to banning the inhumane practice of solitary confinement in our jails. The United Nations has rightly called it torture and it does not belong within the five boroughs of New York City. Uh, and and as it relates to ban the box, you know, I think there's another rally happening on Wednesday at City Hall uh, with advocates where we're continuing to put the pressure on. We've got a great coalition of supporters uh, for Majority Leader Pete Powers legislation uh, and I'm confident that that's another one that we can get over the finish line in the near future. These are uh, necessary pieces of legislation to protect the basic human and civil rights of uh, New Yorkers. And uh, I am eager uh, to see this council continue to flex, just like we did on uh, the FEPS package to provide greater right. access to uh, affordable housing vouchers uh, for people who are exiting our homeless shelters. Uh, we're going to continue to organize and, and fight back to pass the legislation uh, that New Yorkers demand and deserve. 
Let me ask you something about that uh, as you brought it up, and it's it's on my very long list here of things to potentially ask you that I won't get to all of it. We only got about 10 more minutes together here. Um, but uh, before I ask you about that and the, the housing voucher package that I mentioned in the intro that the, the city council just overrode the mayor's vetoes on and, and really, um, you know, the first city council override of a mayoral veto since the Bloomberg years, Bill de Blasio didn't veto any city council legislation. So it wasn't possible to override him, but that spoke to a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the negotiations that went on and, and some other political factors we won't get into now. Um, the ban on solitary confinement, again, you know, there's so that, that phrase gets used because that is in, you know, in essence, what the bill would do, but there is a lot of nuance in this bill. And as you say, public advocate Williams, is is helping lead negotiations on his bill. And, and as I mentioned, he spoke a little bit about it with me on, on a recent episode of the show here, and folks can listen to that. He said his goal is to get it passed by the end of the year. Um, there's a lot of nuance to it about uh, the details of uh, when someone who's been violent, uh, a detainee who's been violent, can, how they can be separated and for how long and in what circumstances. And th- there's a lot of detail to it. It's not just, uh, you know, a one line bill that says solitary confinement is not allowed in city jail. So a lot would depend on what the final details would be. But it does seem like the type of legislation that would, again, potentially get a, a veto from Mayor Adams that the council would need to override. And I believe there's a a, a much more slim supermajority of sponsors on that bill than the city uh, housing voucher bill. So that that could be very interesting to see where that goes. On the override of the housing voucher bills, as part of the mayor's pushback on those bills, he called the council out for things related to the fiscal impact. And he's saying the the bills would dilute the pool of vouchers uh, way too, you know, make it way too big and and hurt people who really need them. And, and the council has pushed back on that a lot. So let's not go into the details of that. But as part of his pushback, the mayor also called out the council for what he said is not doing enough to fight exclusionary zoning in the city, to not build enough new housing in the city. That actually seems like areas where, from where I sit, he has a point. Um, say from your perspective, whether you think he has a point there, is the council, is the Progressive Caucus doing anything to change zoning in the city, uh, to build more housing in the city and and take on that major part of the challenge as well, while also addressing things like housing vouchers, right to council, and some of the things that are a, a part of the larger homelessness and housing crisis as well? I can kick this one off and and kick it over to you, Shahana, but the speaker has been clear that uh, she wants to be a a housing speaker. Uh, And we have uh, approved many uh, ULERPs over our first 18 months in office. And I think there is broad recognition in the council as a whole and within the Progressive Caucus that we need to expand housing supply in New York City. Uh, We need to build more housing. We also need to strengthen tenant protections. And uh, that's why uh, right to council was such a critical priority for us in this budget. Uh, It's why we are are so gravely disappointed that uh, this program uh, remains they're deeply underfunded. Uh, just to give some context on on right to counsel, uh, the idea here is that any tenant facing eviction deserves an attorney when they're in housing court. 
the way that the law is currently drafted is that it only serves the poorest of New Yorkers. So if you have two minimum wage earners in the same household, they earn too much to qualify for right to counsel. But even among the people who qualify for right to counsel, only about 30% of those families are actually getting an attorney in housing court. So we know that landlords are uh, are doing mischievous things. I got a call from a, a, a neighbor down the street from where I grew up in my office today, whose landlord, who he's been paying, whose family's lived in the same apartment for 50 years, he pays every month. And the landlord is claiming that he hasn't received the checks, which is an obvious lie and is taking him to court next week to try and kick him out of his home. He needs a lawyer. Um, and every tenant facing eviction needs a lawyer uh, so that we can help keep tenants in their homes. At the same time, yes, we should be building more housing and maximizing as much affordable housing and deeply, truly affordable housing as possible within the new construction that's going up across the city. I'm proud that the 33rd Council District has had significantly more housing starts than any other council district in the city of New York over the last 15 years. Uh, We had to shed about 18% of our population in the recent redistricting process because we built so much housing and grown so much. And I hope that each and every one of of the other members of the city council will be supportive of density in their districts and do the same uh, because there is a need for more housing. I I was uh, just like I think most New Yorkers incredibly disappointed by the lack of action in Albany this year. And There seemed to be a real opportunity for uh, a package to expand housing supply uh, and provide some incentives to the real estate industry while strengthening tenant protections. That is the uh, basic formula that we should be supporting across the board at the city and state level. Uh, There was an opportunity to get good cause eviction done. The real estate industry killed it. Um, And we need to organize uh, better than ever to get that done uh, next session. And uh, before you jump in, Councilmember Hanif, if you want to on that question, um, I will note for people that the Department of City Planning under the mayor's direction is working on a citywide zoning text amendment. Uh, this gets into you know pretty wonky territory, but they are developing it and they are supposed to be publishing it uh, in the coming months, probably early next year. So that will be one of the most interesting things to watch for in terms of this discussion of larger zoning issues in the city, but that's moving very slowly. It's very complicated as well. And that will be something that needs city council negotiation and approval to change zoning across the city as it relates to a whole variety of specific efforts that will be within that zoning text amendment to try to increase uh, housing capacity around the city. And that's something we'll try to do an episode on as it develops, maybe have city planning chair Dan Gorodnik on the show uh, to talk about it, but they are in development of that zoning text amendment. So that will will get very interesting. And the city council uh, speaker is also working on some housing related measures that maybe we'll talk with her about down the line. Um, and the city council, as Councilmember Ressler uh, acknowledged uh, and mentioned, uh, did approve a lot of uh, rezonings uh, last year. And we did an article at Gotham Gazette about that. There were a lot of approvals uh, of housing, but as Councilmember Ressler was also getting at, there's a lot of questions about whether uh, New York City is coming anywhere close to uh, meeting the the need and the demand and putting any sort of dent in that relationship between supply and demand. Councilmember Hanif, did you want to jump in briefly on that before I ask you both the last couple of questions? 
I do. I wanted to just point to uh, three pieces of legislation that are priorities within the Progressive Caucus to create and preserve permanently affordable housing. We have Councilmember Rivera's bill um, for the Community Opportunity to Purchase Act, um, which would allow uh, for nonprofit developers and community land trusts to be able to make offers to um, uh, city-owned land. And so there's that. We have council member wrestlers bill in that package as well um, uh, around public land for public good. And then of course, council member brewers establishing a land bank. And so we want to really set the tone that the homes that are affordable must remain affordable. We have been also fighting um, to ensure that the news around the thousands of vacant units that are um, across the city get filled, that we shouldn't be um, keeping these vacant we shouldn't be keeping these units vacant, one, and um, the landlords that are keeping units vacant must be held accountable. I also want to point to um, an action we took, uh, some of us took um, uh, at the Rent Guidelines Board hearing um, to push the RGB um, for a rent freeze um, and, and a rent rollback. And so the the Progressive Caucus has been fighting hard um, to keep rents as is or demand a rollback and really pointing to the concerns of the rent increases and also pointing to the fact that warehousing New Yorkers and shelters, particularly families who continue to get shuffled around, which disrupts um, young people's schooling and being able to build within a neighborhood, um, that that's that's just not how the city should be operating. Um, we need we need homes. Everyone should be guaranteed a house and we need the, the rents to be um, affordable for working New Yorkers. Um, before I let you go, a couple of last questions. Uh, Councilmember Heaney, if you got at this a, a bit earlier, when we were talking about the makeup of the 20 member progressive caucus, mentioning that 19 of the 20 are people of color. Um, the mayor often sort of depicts um, either in, in very clear terms or implies that a, a lot of his critics are uh, white, wealthier, privileged people um, or their representatives and doesn't seem to acknowledge that fact that you mentioned that of the Progressive Caucus's 20 members, 19 are people of color and, and in many cases representing districts that are majority or plurality people of color. Um, what what do you think is going on there? Is this about more of a generational uh, divide? Is it about um, just a political philosophical divide? How do you sort of respond to some of the ways that he frames sort of his critics and and the and the larger sort of political atmosphere that's going on in the city? <laughs> I just find it so funny that he depicts the progressives in in that way. Um, and just can't help but laugh uh, because it 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 is a distraction. It is a distraction to um, working class candidates who fought hard for a vision that is rooted in dignity, care, and a politics of joy, um, and a city that is investing millions and millions of dollars to more our communities 
need more. Our communities have always deserved more. Um, and so this is one of those um, uh, the points that I think was not highlighted during the the narrowing of the caucus, the building of cohesion that we had um, Black women leading the working group to really outline uh, what the values of the caucus should be rooted in. That needs to be celebrated. That needs to be highlighted that in this moment when we're seeing right-wing forces um, grow across our nation, um, that there are women of color, Black women leading uh, the fight for a more feminist, representative democracy. And it's happening right here in our city from leaders across Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx. And that needs to be highlighted. But I'm not surprised that he depicts um, uh, progressives in that way because he's also a misogynist. And oftentimes we've seen historically the work of women of color and Black women getting erased, the labor we have put into shaping communities that are rooted in care getting erased. And so it's why I began um, today's uh, conversation just acknowledging how much pride I take in the caucus um, that uh, make up our members in, in this time. It is a hard time to lead in government. It is a tough time, I would say, particularly with what we've seen in the Progressive Caucus and the, the transformation of it, that it must be a hard time to be a progressive. And the fact that our caucus represents um, uh, what Mayor Adams never wants to utter, that women women of color and Black women are leading, um, really says something. It really says something. So I refuse that rhetoric and want to celebrate that we are leading in a time um, of deep precarity and that we are doing so with so much power and integrity. And Councilmember Hanif, before I ask a final question of Councilmember Ressler, um, do do progressives, including the members of the caucus and the others that you've been allied with and, and advocates and some of the citywide elected officials, of course, need to be organizing now or soon uh, to challenge the mayor in the 2025 Democratic primary? That's less than two years away now. Is that something that's a goal for the progressive movement that uh, you're either aware of or organizing around? What's the status of sort of that political atmosphere and thinking about that next election? Oof, that is that is the question. <laughs> that is the question. Uh, certainly uh, not something we've discussed within our caucus, um, but definitely um, have had conversations ac- across progressive movement spaces. I mean, this budget, uh, was just another reminder, another um, alarming reminder that this is not how we want New York City to be led. We do not want a Mayor Adams New York City. And so uh, it's the early days. I can't say much more, but I look forward. I look forward to um, being a part of that fight. Councilman Ressler, anything on that? And then also in closing, um, in addition to that, uh, the mayor recently at a press conference sort of dismissed uh, dismissed your leadership, your representation of your um, constituents around this street safety plan on McGinnis Boulevard. Um, didn't want to sort of engage with a reporter's question around why his administration is pulling back on some planned street safety 
initiatives um, that seem to be widely supported by the local elected officials, including yourself and, and many, many community members. Um, so say a little bit about um, the question of organizing on the left to potentially challenge the, the sitting mayor in the next primary and how, you, you know, sort of his uh, dismissal of your leadership of your community factors in how you're thinking about his, you know, leadership of the city. The situation on McGinnis Boulevard is about public safety. It's a one mile stretch in Greenpoint, but we suffer a crash every week, an injury every week on McGinnis Boulevard because it is so unsafe. We've been organizing for years to finally make McGinnis safe. 7,000 neighbors have signed on to our grassroots community petition. Every elected official at the city, state, and federal levels who represent Greenpoint have all embraced this plan to make McGinnis safe. And the mayor embraced DOT's plan to make McGinnis safe, that the traffic expert engineers developed uh, until, you know, he changed his mind. And it's unfortunate that uh, these decisions become political. Uh, it's in, uh, because he says that public safety is paramount. Um, and what, yet when he has an opportunity to show it, uh, he shies away. Uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful still that we're going to continue to organize. We're going to continue to fight back and to push to get a real uh, plan approved that will make McGinnis safer. Uh, but I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm disillusioned that uh, this administration is making decisions on the merits. <laughs> and uh, are failing to make decisions on the merits, I should say. Uh, the, the 2025 conversation is in some ways a long ways off um, and in others right around the corner. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the articles keep popping up in my feed about maybe this candidate or maybe that candidate. I, I haven't heard of anybody um, uh, just yet uh, that is seriously uh, prepared to throw their hat in the ring. Uh, but I think that uh, democracy benefits from a healthy competition. Uh, there is a lot that has gone wrong in this administration. And I would like to, to see it aired out in a campaign where New Yorkers have the opportunity to uh, choose to take us in a different and better direction. Uh, I am I'm committed to, uh, you know, as an independently elected official, uh, I'm going to do what the residents of the 33rd uh, believe is right. I'm going to stand up for them. I'm going to stand up to him whenever it's necessary. Uh, it's not personal. It's not political. Uh, but that's uh, what the Progressive Caucus is all about. It's a group of left-leaning members uh, who put our collective power together to uh, – uh, to challenge the status quo, to challenge the powers that be, uh, to challenge this mayor when it's necessary. And unfortunately for all of us, it's been necessary far too often. All right. Well, uh, 2025 is a bit away. And as you said, also a little bit around the corner. So um, worthy of perhaps a little discussion right now, but uh, but otherwise plenty uh, here to continue to chew on related to more 
more pressing city policy and city budget decisions and so forth. And we will leave it there. Thank you both for all the time. That's the co-chairs of the New York City Council Progressive Caucus, Shahana Hanif and Lincoln Ressler. Thank you both for all this time. Appreciate it. And we'll touch base down the road. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Take care. Be well.